0: or not we're good cool so you ever see those puzzles that that are like i've seen them with their one color you have like a thousand pieces of one color oh my goodness can you imagine what that would be like at the end of the puzzle and you're getting all the way there and then there's that one piece that's missing maybe you've experienced things like that it just feels so cruel it feels so so unnecessary I want you to think about that because it kind of has a little bit to do with what we're going to talk about today. The world is in need of something they don't realize that they need. I remember when well, I'll tell you in a minute about this crazy experience. but first, we have none of our middle schoolers here. It's Labor Day weekend. You can expect sometimes that some of our families are having fun outside. Well, we did that last weekend. I told the middle schoolers I would show their pictures up behind me so. We'll go ahead and flash that up there. You can see the fun that they had last weekend. There they are. I have uh, all of these in 4 by 6 photos that I will hold hostage until they show up for church. So if they're here next week, then they can have their copies uh, of that. So they had fun, and yeah, there was some falling in the water and some purposeful fun in the water. Okay, so we're going through a new message series that we started a few weeks back, The Hard Time Letters. Practical life skills from Paul's prison epistles. Uh, you'll see there is hope, and also that this is the the messages we've gone through, and just kind of giving you a middle of it. Next week is kind of a weird wor- word. Do you see there? Uber epignosis. Yeah. Let me give you another big word. We're going to go through an epistemological understanding of faith. We'll get to that next week. But those are those are going to be fun. Today it's problem solved. You see that underlined behind me and you can see our text. Before we open up our text, I want to tell you about an experience. It was kind of weird. So many years ago, some of you know that I broke, uh, I didn't realize it. I had an accident, fell off a roof, and I won't get into the gory details, but uh, what happened to my leg and foot were, was much more of a visual. So everybody was focused on that. What we didn't know at the time was that my back was broken in two places. I didn't even know it because the attention was all on my leg. That's where the visual was and that's where the most of the pain was. So went through several years, moved out to Washington State, did a special sonogram thing on my back. It's a way they look at bones now. And I was asked, when did you break your back? And that's when I first knew that I broke my back. And I had trouble. Ever since that accident, I, I kept having back trouble, kept having back trouble. I did not know that my back had been broken. And I had a propensity of back trouble. And one day, finally, Stephanie convinces me, I think you need to try massage therapy. And my doctor was willing to sign me up for that. But I was like, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that. This seems awkward. Don't want to do that. And don't get this from me that I'm encouraging you to do this. I'm just telling you my story. So then Stephanie said, you know what, what if I'm in the room with you? Okay, I might try that. So we arranged that. She stayed in the room and went through the massage therapy. And when I got up off the table from this hour, hour and a half, whatever it was, um, and the, the girl hurt me. I don't know if you've ever been through deep tissue massage, but that hurts. Uh, you know, they, they don't, it's not something that you do for pleasure at all. It's elbows like grinding into you. Anyway, as I got up off the table and the the massage therapist left, Stephanie was there, I started laughing and she wanted to know, what are you laughing at? And I I thought it was weird. It had been years since I had been able to just exist without back pain. I didn't know what that was like. I didn't know I needed that massage therapy. I, I didn't know it. I just thought life was this way. I'm supposed to feel this pain all the time. I didn't know you could not feel it. I tell you that because our text takes us to a place where we kind of got to think of some other people who are like that. They, people that don't know Jesus, and they don't know they need him. I want to show you a picture of a person that was very special to me. Wilbur, Wilbur Fields. He um, was a very, very odd duck. He was a professor, He taught, began teaching at Ozark Christian College in 19, I think it was 1965. He had already written some books, at least one. Um, his books that he wrote look similar to this. If you see these in yard sales, it's a green, can you tell that's the color, kind of a green color, it says College Press on it. These have been used in our Bible colleges for years. They're no longer in print, and they're very valuable to me. I I snag them when I can find them. So if you find one at a yard sale at a good price, I'll pay you back if you grab it. And probably, this is in our church library, this book here. And I'd like to put more in there of various ones. Very valuable. I'm going to show you how you can get free copies. You won't get the hard copies. There you go, right here. Uh, What I did is I took a screenshot of this particular, I'm going to see if I can do that. Oh, we'll underline it. Uh, You go in there. You go. There's College Press. See it written right there, and then abarc.org. That is where you want to go. That's a part of a ministry of American Rehabilitations Ministries. They do mostly prison ministries, but they are uh, very associated with uh, independent Christian churches like this. And you can go there and you click on the College Press series, and you can get all that were ever made of these green books. Commentaries through the Old Testament and the New Testament and doctrinally super solid books. They're just out of print. But you can get free copies online. Click a PDF version or just have it on your computer. I wanted to show this to you because Wilbur Fields, the image I showed you before, who was a very odd duck, shaped my thinking. And he shaped a lot of people's thinking. He was actually a very respected archaeologist as well. But Wilbur Fields, I think he taught for 36 years at Ozark Christian College. He was very humble. He was very sincere. I I remember one of the first times I realized he's just as weird in private as he is in public. Uh, After He taught the 7 o'clock Old Testament history class that everybody wanted in. Everybody couldn't get in it because everybody wanted in that 7 o'clock in the morning Tuesday through Friday, Old Testament history class. It doesn't sound appealing, really, but for a young person. But that guy was so full of energy. He, he was amazing, and he did things on purpose, I think, to be weird. Plus, he was weird on top of that. I remember when he was talking about David and Bathsheba. I remember he put his glasses on. He wore, he wore very old-school glasses, black rims, uh, kind of like the military used to issue. That's what he wore. And he put them on on purpose while he's telling his story. So I knew he wasn't reading. He didn't need to have them on to read because he was telling a story. And he puts them on to talk about David. And David saw Bathsheba. And he, as he's talking about this, David looked over and he saw Bathsheba. Woo! <laughs> and his glasses flew off his face. And <laughs> I, I have tried to throw my glasses that way. And I can't get the distance that he got. So I know he had to practice. I mean, he, he kept our attention and by being weird. But he did this naturally too. I remember visiting another professor down down the hallway and I looked and I, I passed Wilberfield's door. He had the door closed and there was glass on it. And I looked in to see what he was doing and he was grading papers. And as he was grading papers, you could hear him through the walls and through the doors. He's very loud. And he's saying people's names as he grades them. And he didn't say my name, but let's say he says my name. Oh Lord, I lift up to you, Jeff Adams. That's the way he talked, very Gorley voice, he was always praying for his students even as he graded the papers. Weird, but I respected him so much. He was just, just his own man. I went on missionary trips uh, in the United States with him and I wish I had done more. But he wrote a commentary on Ephesians and if I'm, if I'm going through and I'm looking at the Greek and I'm trying to figure things out and I'm wondering what this is about I actually go to his commentary because I trust his scholarship. So I wanted to tell you that I'm influenced by him, and I wanted to tell you up front his his humility was probably the most significant thing about him, and it fits what we're talking about today. So jumping into the text, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Now the word mystery, as it appears in the New Testament, has fascinated me for years, and it especially sucked me into it as I watched a forum of independent Christian church preachers sitting on a stage. Every one of them represented large, independent Christian churches across the United States. One in particular is from the New England states. But everybody that was in the room already knew of the successes of these people. And as they began to talk about communion, that was the subject material, then the these experts, as they talked, they started talking about the mystery of communion and how uh, some churches, like Stephanie and I, visited many churches. And uh, we visited Overlake up in uh, Seattle uh, area. We visited there and we'd heard things and we weren't sure until it actually happened. I visited Southeast Christian in Louisville and I was told that they don't do communion, they, they've removed it from their worship service. The largest of these independent Christian churches. I, that's what I was told. I went there and I learned very differently. Not only do they serve communion every worship service to all 30,000 people that worship there, they actually have a guy that they pay to staff the people that serve communion and to set up the people that speak about communion. And he actually invented a machine so that they could take care of that many people with communion that other big churches use and communion is very important to them. It was a lie. They did not remove communion from their service. It's very important. They want to be like the first church. But when we visited Overlake, they didn't mention communion at all and talk about it. it. wasn't in the service. It was disappointing. But we're listening, I was listening to these people sitting on the stage. It was an open discussion between these people on the stage, these experts, large church preachers, and all of them but one, all of them pretty much agreed that we don't have to have communion in our services. The more visitors that come, the more you can kind of push it aside. You can have it in a side room. Uh, they say you can still lift it up and make it an honorable thing. We can have it you know, in a special worship space where we don't make everybody feel uncomfortable. And the preacher from the New England states, who's a friend of all these people, others, he spoke last, and he walked up to a podium to speak. He didn't want to just sit in the chair. He goes, I'm going to have to address this. And he goes, I'm sorry, you know, these are my friends. He said, but I completely disagree. He said, Scripture emphasizes the importance of communion. And he said, it was one of those things, yes, guests might come and not know what we're doing, but that's one of the cool things about communion. It's, it's mysterious. And people are drawn to the mysterious. Have you not turned on the History Channel and seeing how much is not history anymore? It's mysterious stuff they're drawn to. And so he, and in, he won over the whole room. In fact, his peers, who had just shared a different opinion, applauded him when he was done. He stood up for what he believed in. And he was the only one, and he won over the whole room. I love that. And I think God's Word prevailed when that happened, and I was I got pulled into this. like, now I want to read all these mysterious in the New Testament. I want to see what that's about. And we land in one today. Here it is, and it very clearly talks about this mystery, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Now, this is, for the beginning part, it says, for this reason. For what reason? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but he keeps going back to what he's already talked about. And if you go back to last week's message and you go back to the week before or just simply go back in your Bible, this is about the grace of God. That's what this emphasis is. And last week we talked about how this is actually for the people that are different than us. This this is actually for the people that we consider maybe even less than us. People that aren't as spiritually advanced as we are. This grace is for them too. But it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Sometimes we want to kind of you know, we want to do well. We don't want to, we don't want to justify sin. We don't want to say that sin is okay in any way. But we also don't want to push people away because of their sin. So it's you've got to balance that. But God's grace is for everyone that's willing to have the faith to follow Jesus. In this mystery, he's talking about, he's assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of god's grace that was given to me for you so paul has been entrusted to give this that's why it's inspired and it's in our bible he's talking about god's grace he's a stewardship of it how how does god give this out and i've been entrusted to give this to you the mystery was made known to me by revelation remember on his conversion he was a persecutor of christians And he says, as I have written briefly. So he's going to get to it. He's kind of letting us, he's whetting our appetite, this mystery, this idea of God's grace that is being revealed. Even to people that we used to push aside, you Gentiles, you're you're included too. So we go to the next passage. When, or next verse, verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. There we go. The mystery of Christ. You can perceive my insight. In fact, if you, if you want to use another word there, think of this word enlightened. When you think of the word enlightened, you should be thinking of a light bulb going off. Now you get it. You can understand more clearly. As I was trying to put the batteries into this backup recorder just a few minutes ago, the, I, I couldn't see in this room that's dimly lit uh, where the plus was supposed to go on the battery. So I had to step out where there was more light. Ah, I was enlightened than I can see. So there, there's enlightenment into the mystery of Christ. You can perceive Paul's enlightenment in the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men, that's humans, and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, which would include Paul, and the prophets by the Spirit. This is cool. So it's a spiritual thing that God has revealed to Paul and the prophets, and he is supposed to be a steward of this, to give it to us, this understanding of God's grace. I, I hope that you're following closely along, because we're going to go a little bit deeper Now, what I'd like to do is go ahead and uh, look at verses 4 and 5. Let's go to verse 6. Here we go. This mystery, look at that note, we'll get to that in a minute, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Okay, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. We've, We've talked about those scriptures where they're grafted in members of the same body, those who have accepted Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, they're in the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now that's good. So we, we, we should have this driven into us by now. God's grace is for each person. We are not dividing it up into God's grace is only for these people or only for these people. No, no, it's for anyone who would accept his grace. Now I want to back up to verses 4 and 5 and add it back to, into our view up behind me so you can see the context. And I want to show you why that note is in the English Standard Version. Now, you have different versions of Bibles here in the room. I've got the English Standard up behind me. I want to show you the English Standard Version, which I think is a good translation, took a liberty, and they actually put a, a little phrase in here that is not in the original and it's there for a reason. The note says that this is implied. I'll show you what it looks like if you take out the implication. See up behind me now? The mystery is, is now not really there. You can barely see it. I assume you can barely see it. There you go. So I want to show you what the King James does for this, and I'll remind you, I think the King James is a good translation. It's just archaic language, and we don't understand it very well. Let me show you the King James of verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That's the King James version. Now, the reason why I wanted to show you that is because the King James did not put in an implied anything. They just translated literally that the Gentiles should be. You notice, see, the mystery is, this mystery is, is not there. It's because it's not in the original. But the problem is, it's such a, a long chunk of words people lose what that's talking about. What's that connected to? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs. It's talking about the mystery. The mystery is, it used to be where we separated Jews and Gentiles, and the Gentiles were not quite accepted by God. But now, God's grace is for everyone. So the implication is there. It's not in the original language. And some people might go, "Uh uh-huh, there you go, King James. They didn't didn't add anything right there. It's got to be the only King James. That's the only holy version. And remember, King James was not the first English translation. And I want to show you something. By the providence of God, I'm thankful that I was able to illustrate in one verse. I'll go back to that. Okay, in that uh, verse 6, notice Jesus is not really there. Did you see how I did that behind me? The reason why I did that is because in the King James, the word Jesus isn't there. And by the way, it is in the original. So the King James left out the name Jesus. So don't, if you're a King James only advocate, and I think the King James is a good translation. Don't get on your high horse and think that hey, it's the it's the only translation, because I just in one verse just showed you that the word Jesus was left out when it's actually there. And how can you know this? You you just have a preacher standing on the stage talking. How do you know this? Let me show you how you can know this. Now, nah, ready, J.C. This you can get to online yourself. You don't have to know Greek to be able to get to this information. So you can go to what's known as Bible Hub. Very easy. BibleHub.com. You type in, when you, you go to the upper left hand, you can go, go to the passage you want, go to the chapter you want, and it just says Bible here, but you, what you'll do is you'll look for the Greek, and this is interlinear, which means it basically translates as it goes. So what we have here, I know it looks confusing, but you see verse 6 starts right here? And it starts with right here, that word, there's a Greek word. It's translated literally for you. And if you use Strong's, there's a Strong's number, Strong's Concordance. Very cheap, very easy to get. You can give it on Amazon even. So it starts with, are the Gentiles. So in other words, it doesn't say this mystery is. It's implied. It just doesn't say there in the Greek. And I want to show you... Um, that other verse I told you, where it says, um, "Let me show you." Here you go, Cristo, Iesu thats Christ Jesus. It is in the Greek, and the King James did leave it out. So it happens. I mean, none of the translations are perfect. Use more than one. That's highly recommended. Um, <clears throat> just wanted to show you how you can get to that, so you don't have to trust what the preacher's saying or the televangelist or the author in a book. You can actually go and look at it yourself. And I wanted to show that to you cuz we will get to some Greek in a and very quickly actually the very next passage. Let's go ahead and look at verse 7 in our text. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. This is a cool verse. Of this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So Paul was made a minister Because God had so much grace, he gave him that ability. And it's all by the power of God, nothing that Paul could do on his own. But I want you to notice something, this word minister, because it can be confusing the way we use it today. The Greek word, you'll see it up behind me, it'll pop up, diakonos. That might sound like another word to you, so let me transliterate it. Here's the transliteration, the next one, diakonos. There you go, just taking the Greek words, putting them into English, and here is the way we typically translate it, we transliterate it as deacon. So it could read, of this gospel I was made a deacon. Paul was not a deacon. Not the way we think of it. Uh, So here's another way to translate it, and the most literal translation is servant. That's what it means. Servant. You think of a deacon in a church, you should be thinking servant. You cannot imagine how many meetings I've had to try to talk people and convince them into... In fact, I should put it on the church uh, Facebook page soon if we can, if I remember. Marcy, you might remind me if I forget. But there's a, a professor who is writing about this right now, and it's very insightful. But in our churches, a lot of times we think of deacons. And by the way, the pastoral epistles talk about elders and deacons and their official capacities. They're, they're like official things where the church is is supposed to appoint elders and deacons, and the deacon's role is to serve. They're the ones that are supposed to be doing the physical stuff so that the church leadership can do the spiritual stuff. That's the way it was set up early on in Acts chapter 6, and then you see some criteria in First and Second Timothy and Titus known as the pastoral epistles. What you will notice when you see the word minister or deacon or servant and by the way, it's not always, when you see the word servant in the New Testament, it's not always that same word. It doesn't come from that same word, diakonos. But when you see the word servant, it necessarily has a particular connotation, especially as Paul is speaking. I'm not sure if you are picking up on this special uh, connotation, but I want to um, I want to give you a clue. It might be on the screen behind me. There's a connotation that should come to mind when you think of the word servant because it, it goes hand in hand. Did, did you see that? It wasn't very subliminal. It was in yellow that just flashed across behind me twice. And that is humility. I wanted to do that because that goes hand in hand with being a servant. Jesus taught this, remember, when he washed his disciples' feet. The king of kings, the person that would be king of kings and lord of lords, bowed down. And wash the feet of his disciples, teaching us how we're supposed to behave. Don't think of yourself as better than other people. You're supposed to be serving others. That requires humility. So, Paul is talking about he's been entrusted with this special mystery within the gospel that he's supposed to reveal to people. And this is a privilege because God has given him this opportunity to serve in this way. There is complete humility. He could have easily said, look, I'm an apostle. Listen to what I'm telling you. He didn't do that. He made it clear by his demonstration with his words that he's simply a servant of Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm drawn to people like that, aren't you? I mean, he says, people that are humble, that don't have to be, but they choose to be. And he's showing us how that's what we're supposed to be. Christians, we have the grace of God. We've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We know that this gives us a promised eternity with him, and it's something that lost people don't have. We could act like we've, we're better, better than you. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to have a humble servant attitude, just like Paul is demonstrating here. He didn't say, I used to be just like those people. I used to go around having Christians killed. Huh. But I'm not so stupid anymore. He didn't do that. He's, I'm, I've been entrusted to serve people in this way, to deliver this idea, this mystery in the gospel of Christ. I love his humble approach and, and I want to be like that because I'm drawn to him like that. I want people to be drawn to me like that. I think it's what God wants us to do. Let's look at the uh, next few verses. To me, this is starting with verse 8, you'll see the subliminal, not so subliminal message there. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this, you catch your youth? feeling this? This, and by the way, saints as Christians, Paul's saying of himself, and he doesn't just do this here in Ephesians, he does it in a couple of other places, the least of all the saints, I'm the least of all the Christians. Here's an apostle inspired to write this, and he's saying he is the least amongst us. We don't think of him that way. But that's how he thinks of himself. This grace was given To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I hope you catch that connotation. No matter how much you look for the riches of Christ, you're not going to find them all. They just keep coming. And to bring to light, enlighten, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. There it is again. Hidden for ages in God. Now about this time, If you haven't been, you ought to be drawn to that mysterious thing, like the History Channel thinks we all are. Drawn to this mystery that's hidden for ages in God. So this has been kept, and it's now getting revealed by Paul, who created all things. And I love it every time the New Testament brings up the fact that things were created, because all these people who want to try to tell me that my Old Testament is just figurative, no, it it was all evolution. It's all that. No, my Bible just reminded me, no, we had a creator who created, the way he said he did it. Who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this is the part where I said, okay, Mr. Fields, I'm going to have to go back and see what you have to say about this. Because I couldn't remember I wrote, when I was in college, a 70-page introduction to Ephesians. So I should have remembered, but I couldn't remember. So I went back to his thing. and So what is, what is this about, this idea that the mystery might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Well, it's exactly how it sounds. Whether they are good or bad, spiritual entities... God wants to reveal this mystery. And and Paul is not quite doing it yet. He's not quite telling us how this is supposed to play out. Well, maybe. Maybe he's not. Maybe he just did. (laughs) I love this. I love this about Scripture. I love how God does this so subtly, and it's right in front of our face. I want to underline this so you can see. Look at this. So that through the church the manifold wisdom and if you don't know what that means that means it's uh it's it's a bunch and it's various wisdom how god's wisdom is just it's all over the place it covers everything it's amazing but so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known okay all right so so it's now supposed to be made known this this manifold this abundance and various wisdom of god This mystery is going to get revealed. This all should be made known. I don't know if you're catching this. It says, so that through the church. That's how it's supposed to happen. Interesting. Just so that we make sure that we understand what he's talking about, I have a visual up behind me. What you see is a triangle and an arrow and a circle. And... What this represents is first of all you have a starting point or a question and that is in the triangle. My question is upside down because that's the way it seems when we look at it as Christians, when we look at the world and they have all these questions, they don't even know they have these questions. They don't even know that they need a massage therapist and it, oh that's a different illustration. They don't even know that they need Christ, but they have questions. They don't know why they find themselves staring out the window, wondering what else is there in life. They don't know why they feel alone, even though they have people all around them. They don't know why they don't feel satisfied, even though by the world standards they are seeing success. They don't know why they still feel empty when they're making a lot of money. They don't know why they still feel like they need true friendship, camaraderie, when they have friends. They don't know why they don't have that feeling of real family like others when they have family. They don't know why there is this missing hole in their soul. You can use this chart for other things, too. And basically, you have the starting point or question. And then at the end, you have the solution or answer. That's the circle. And I have a cross-up behind me now. So the, the key is, and it's just about anything um, else in life works like this. And let's just take Bible study for an example. Let's say you're reading through Ephesians. You're reading through our text, and you're trying to get ahead. You want to, I got to What's the preacher going to talk about? I want to learn about it. So let's say you, you do that. You read ahead. So basically you have the starting point or question, and then you have the solution at the end. You can fill those in with that. So the solution is, I'll have the answer to my questions about the Bible, or I'll have an understanding of the Bible. How you get there is the middle part, the process. That is key. You know, because some people, the way they're going to get there to understand the Bible is they'll simply just listen to their preacher or turn on the radio or um, pick up a commentary And instead of going actually straight to the source to learn what it's saying, they'll go there first. And that's not the best process. Maybe you'll get good answers from your televangelist or from the author or from your preacher. But then again, maybe you won't. So that process could actually determine the outcome. You might not get the right answer. You might not be fulfilled. You might not have a solution. might not be a good one. So, how you get there is important. And what Paul is talking about is, it is time now for this mystery that has been concealed to be revealed. What is that mystery? Well, it's that the grace of God is for everyone. But how is it to be revealed? See, that's the middle part. The question is, okay, so, um, I don't know how... This is going to be revealed. It needs to be revealed. What is the mystery? All those things. And then at the end, you have the cross, the grace. How can people know about the grace of God? Because it's so big. It's amazing. It fits everybody. It's not just selective. It's for anybody who wants the grace of God, can have the grace of God. How do we get that mystery to the angels and demons in the spiritual world? entities because even they don't know until it's revealed and the answer is in scripture it's the church that's the answer and you know what that means that's us that's that's you and me us oh we'll do that later jc is so smart he's he's following my notes Okay, so let's read that scripture again just so I can show it to you. That it is... I'm not making this up. This is what it says. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, enlighten for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, manifold, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So even spiritual entities, it wasn't revealed to them, it's left to the church. Through the church, that's the process. We reveal to even spiritual entities that the grace of God is for anyone who would, who would receive it. Let me show you that chart again. J.C. got ahead of me a minute ago because I was getting ahead of myself. Uh, The church is us. It's you and me. Now, it might make us uncomfortable. I mentioned last week, and it it does make many of us uncomfortable. If we suddenly, if we, you know, let's say we, we set the chairs out, we have more rows, and then we're still trying to do social distancing, and the next thing you know... We have some bikers show up in our parking lot, and they got all kinds of gang-looking tattoos on them, and they come in. Um, that's going to make some of us uncomfortable. Those of us who have concealed weapons uh, are probably going to be going, I'm watching that guy. I'm watching him. You know. Good. I'm thankful for you who are like that. But the grace of God is for them. I was in a church. I was serving in a church in Indiana. And we had an, a problem that the church had never had. It was over 100 years old. And the way this church did things is when we had baptisms, they, we, had, we made the people put on robes. I, I try not to make people put on robes when they're baptized. Because I remember uh, we had a, an alcohol, uh, the county came to us and said, uh, We have an alcoholic. Uh, she can be released from the county jail if someone will make sure she takes this pill, it's it's called anabuse, and it makes them sick if they drink alcohol when it's in their system. She had to have somebody, and she had no family, she had no friends that she could mention, so the sheriff's department knew me, they contacted me and said, hey, would your church be willing every day of the week to have this lady come by and make sure she puts this pill in her mouth and swallows it? You have to inspect the inside of her mouth. So we agreed. We We had a couple people doing that. I had to do it a few times. And the lady began to see Christ in us, not judging her. And, and she wanted to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior. And, and it was one of the times when we were forcing her to take her pill. She just said she'd been coming to church, but she said, I, I, I need to be baptized. Okay. So the ladies took her back. They made her put a robe on. She got baptized. And she was so excited she wanted to come out and greet everybody. And you could see through the robe, and she wasn't wearing anything underneath it. So I don't do that anymore. I don't make people wear robes. I tell them put on a dark shirt and dark shorts. That's what we do. Yeah, there you go. But one morning, there were seven people we were not expecting, adults, who came forward to accept Christ for the first time. It shocked me. I was like, whoa, that's a lot all at once. And, and seven people came forward, and we didn't have enough bath robes. We had this man that was like six foot four trying to put on a medium robe. Like, you really want me to put this on? No, just, we'll get you some other clothes. And the reason why I tell you that story is because I had a meeting after we baptized these people. I would met them. Uh, a deacon and I had met them. We saw them playing basketball. And uh, I, I got lots of stories about basketball. I'm not good at basketball, but... We went and played basketball with them. And I know I'm not good, and I know I, nobody wants me on their team. You know, I'm mean. I mean, I'll bump people and foul people, but I, I'm not going to make shots, and I'm going to hog the ball, all that stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel. Anyway, we played basketball with them, and ultimately we made friends with them. And, and these, these, were the, these were the town druggies. But they came to church, and seven of them came forward one Sunday morning. But there was a meeting after that. I got in trouble. We're bringing the wrong kind of people to church. You see, God's grace is for everybody. And uh, sometimes it might make us uncomfortable if we're leading some people that are uh, very far away from Christ to Christ. But God's grace is for them. Look at that verse again. I want to show it to you one more time because I want you to have it ingrained in your head. So that through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Imagine, if you will, the demons are watching. And what what do you think they're thinking as spiritual evil forces are watching when your family member that you've been praying so hard would finally come to church. When that neighbor that is so inappropriate and loud at wrong times, uh, when that person that you don't know that walks in and clearly has lived in a dark world walks in here and sits down, what do you think the demons are thinking? You know, you know they're thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Hopefully somebody will be unkind. Hopefully they will make them feel like you don't belong with us. Hopefully they'll walk in and just feel like, this. I shouldn't have ever tried this. This was a bad idea. But what if people come in that are very, very different than us? People People that do things they ought not to do. What if people come in and a cuss word slips while they're talking to us out there in the lobby? Are we going to make them feel like hey. I mean, we definitely we don't want that happening. you know. We don't want the kids to think that's okay. But do we want to make them feel like you don't belong in here until you get that cleaned up? What if they came in and they felt loved? Those demons would be like Oh! wish they would have gone to that other church. What do you think the angels are thinking? If we got people that are just unsavory characters, and what, what if we have somebody come in here and they sit down and they start talking to somebody that's not there? That's awkward. What, what if what if the what do the angels think if we welcome in the most unlikely people? What if what if Dan goes and visits somebody in the county jail and? He introduces them saying, hey, "This person's been in and out of jail their whole life, but uh, they, they wanted to come to church, and it's my friend. What if they come and they think, "These people love me." The angels? angels would be like, "Yes. That's what God was talking about. When he had Paul write this, that this is supposed to happen through the church, That's how it happens through the church, and it doesn't just happen here in the building. It happens wherever we go, because we are the church. This building is not the church. But if we are doing our job, we'll have all kinds of people in here. Okay, let's move on with the rest of the, the next part of the text. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. He is realized in Jesus. He's made real. He's made manifest in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This grace is for everyone, and we can illustrate that in how we treat other people. That's the way it works. Let's look at the uh, next section, the last verse of our text. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I love that last little piece in our text for a multitude of reasons, but Paul is asking them because the church has obviously gotten discouraged because Paul, our leader, the one who started our church is in jail and it's not fair. And he's saying to them, look, God's grace is for everyone. Yes, I'm suffering, but don't lose heart. This is for your glory. Whose glory? The church. So the green book, and I'll show you a picture of a gray book. Look up behind me. This is the book that um, they've reprinted it, and you can get copies of it uh, from very poor printing (laughs) companies. But the green book that he wrote, uh, uh, Wilbur Fields wrote, he entitled it The Glorious Church because he understands in the book of Ephesians, that's kind of what this is about. As we try to live out our faith in front of others, this reveals the mystery and it glorifies the bride of Christ. She looks very pretty. She looks so perfect. When other people understand you can have what I have, even though you don't think you need it, even though you don't realize that you've got a missing piece to the puzzle, what I have is for you too. And that's what we as a church are supposed to be doing. And this glorifies the bride of Christ. So don't lose heart when suffering is going on because ultimately, if we can live our faith out in front of others who don't believe, the bride of Christ looks beautiful. Because it looks like this. Here's that diagram again because the world they have questions they don't even know how to ask they have problems they don't realize that they own they have a missing part in their soul that they don't even recognize what it is and and the solution is christ and the only way they're going to know that is through the church which is you and me it's us we are the ones I can do this. That's the solution. That's the process. Us. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We need it. We want to we wanna look good to you as the body of Christ. We, we want to make sure people come to know you by the way we live our lives. And God, sometimes we fail, and you know that we're sorry. But Lord, we do want to make the bride look beautiful. We want to represent you well. We want to do better at giving this message, enlightening the people around us that they too can have salvation in Jesus Christ, which is the only hope for eternity. God, we thank you for your abundant grace. We thank you for using a humble servant like Paul, to demonstrate how we're supposed to be like-minded. God, as we try to be more like you would have us, may you be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.